0: My high school football team, I mean, we all like our high school alma maters, but I had never experienced anything like this. So it was really bizarre to me. And then, you know, I worked at a bar part time too. And to hear all of these old guys talking about, you know, their touchdown that they made in 1842, you know, still, <laughs> the good old days. yeah, still <laughs> hanging on to the glory days, you know, I started just seeing the importance that this community held for not the sport, but for the notoriety, I guess, that you got from being on the team. So, I mean, it just was always really weird to me. I never understood it.
1: Hi, Jillian here, and this is Let the Women Do the Work, the podcast where we look at true crime from the perspectives of the women involved. Now, as we've mentioned thus far in the series, Women are often cordoned off as a class of victims in the true crime world. A, because it happens. Women are still disproportionately victims of violent crime. And B, because we're still working with a flawed, sexist world out here. Gender tropes are tempting storytelling vehicles, and we see them all the time. So for this episode, I spoke with someone who cracked a case wide open, along with the misogyny at the heart of the conversation around it. Her name is Alexandria Goddard. She's a legal consultant and crime blogger who caught wind of a horribly disturbing story back in 2012. She was living in California at the time when she came across a story about something that had happened where she used to live, a small city in eastern Ohio called Steubenville. And content warning listener, this case concerns sexual assault. So take care if this is a triggering topic for
0: you. I describe it as it's one of those days where you've reached the end of the internet and you're looking for things to do. And so I was like, oh, I wonder what's happening in Steubenville. And it just so happened the day that I clicked on the news domain that the boys had been arrested. The news article was basically four sentences. There was nothing in there other than two boys had been arrested. I don't even think they identified them as uh, football players, but they were Steubenville Big Red students. And so I thought, you know... Something's going on here, and I just did some research.
1: On the night of August eleventh, 2012, Steubenville High School students convened at a few end-of-summer parties, and they left a digital paper trail to prove it. Tweets,
0: photos, and videos possibly document a crime from that night, an alleged sexual assault of a seemingly intoxicated, unconscious, underage teenage girl by members of the high school football team, an assault that other partygoers allegedly watched and later shared details online. This tweet from a partygoer reads, Song of the Night is definitely Rape Me by Nirvana. Other tweets call the girl sloppy and talk about a dead body, Referring to the girl's state of unconsciousness.
1: The victim was known only as Jane Doe. And a few days later, her mother filed a report with police. And about a week after that, sophomores Trent Mays and Malik Richmond were arrested and charged with rape and kidnapping. But I want to be clear from the top here there were bystanders everywhere that night, lurking in the backgrounds of photos, commenting and posting throughout the incident, even laughing about it. They were laughing about it. It's disgusting. There's an infamous video that made its way to YouTube from that night. It shows other kids at one of these parties gathered around talking about what Trent and Malik did to this girl. Given their tone, you'd think they were discussing a successful senior prank, not the direct violation of someone's body and life. The ringleader of this conversation in the video was a kid named Michael Nodianos, the same person who shot out the tweet joking that Rate Me by Nirvana was the song of the night. A tweet reposted by Trent and many others. And not for nothing, but do we think these idiots could even comprehend what that song actually says in the first place? Yeah, my vote is no. I say all this to show you, dear listener, that this terrible incident existed in a convoluted web of complicity. It spread beyond the two arrested, to their teenage peers, and eventually to adults in the community too. Because this was the start of football season, and with two starting players down for the count over these allegations— Many in the town would rush to question Jane Doe's story instead. Even though she was the one harmed, these boys played the sport that gave Steubenville its collective identity, its sense of purpose. Alexandria is from Ohio originally, and she moved back following a divorce to be close with her mom, who lived in Steubenville. Alexandria was there for about five years, and there were lots of things that didn't quite click for her about the town. Most notably, its obsession with
0: high school football. When I moved there, I had gotten a job at the hospital, at the emergency room, and I worked the graveyard shift there as a ward clerk. And so, you know, with all patients coming in, and I remember I hadn't been there very long, and I had gone back to the nurse's locker room, and I noticed that there were all of these posters, like homemade posters and balloons and glitter. And, you know, there were these two different teams. And I'm just like, it looked like a high school locker room. And I remember I walked out and one of the ER doctors, I asked him, I'm like, what, you know, I'm, I'm, who is big red? And, you know, what is a central? I'm thinking this is like, you know, some professional football or sports team. And he's like, oh, well, you know, that's the high school teams. And I remember standing there looking at him like, okay, there are women that work here who are old enough to be my mom, who are running around, you know, with buttons on and their lockers are decorated and they're doing all this over high school football. So it was really just weird to me that this was even going on because at the time, I think, you know, I've been out of high school for at least 10 years and I was not going to do cartwheels down the hallway for my high school football team. I didn't give a shit, you know, but they were like, it, it was crazy. And I just remember thinking this is just bizarre. Like who I'd never seen adults act this way about high school football. They glorify these players. And so I knew that there was probably more to the story than what local news was reporting.
1: And so from across the country, Alexandria got to work blogging and digging. Hey, girl, Daily Harvest is back. Look,
2: fam, we got to talk about the takeout temptation.
1: Yeah, you know how I'm always hungry.
2: I know. Okay? <laughs> I do know that about but you. But I'm trying to
1: save a little bit of money these days because yeah. I can't order out all the time, so that's where Daily Harvest comes in because you know I also have a freezer full of Daily Harvest.
2: But the thing about Daily Harvest, it's nutritious, it's organic, it's vegan, and it's made in like a minute, and it's made for any meal of the day. So you know I have my smoothie for breakfast or I have my bowl. Right. I've been eating the soups or the flatbreads for lunch. There's so many options, and it's delicious and filling and good for you. It's not the pizza that I would get otherwise. Yeah,
1: six days a week. Not <laughs> yeah. right. That's the thing. I really want to focus on the filling part because yes. I feel like yes. this is something yes. okay, you take it out of your fridge, you put it in the blender or you put it, or you heat it up, whatever, and you feel like, no, there's no way that feeds you like a meal. There's totally. no way that yeah. you feel like, I had a great lunch, now I'm ready for the day. Totally. The thing yeah. is, you do, and because it's organic fruits and vegetables, and because it's lighter and healthier for you, I don't feel like I also have to take a nap after eating the full pizza. One million
2: right? percent, though I am nap positive. Let me tell you, new to the scene, fam, is the Delicious Harvest Bakes. These are for those moments where you're looking for homemade feels without any of the work. These are ready-to-bake, veggie-packed dishes, sizzling with gourmet-level flavors that are big enough to share. You just won't want to. Yeah,
1: so avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com work to get up to $40 off your first box.
2: That's dailyharvest.com work for up to $40 off your first box dailyharvest.com slash work. Yeah. It lives in your freezer
1: and not in a creepy way. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> in the delicious, yes! organic way. Totally. Get into it. <laughs> so Alexandria was in California, dissatisfied by the immediate coverage of the story. She could sense it was complicated with lots of players in the mix. She could also sense that if someone didn't cover what happened, it could all get swept under the dirty, patriarchal rug. And with it,
0: justice for Jane Doe. I went to the high school football roster and the names were out there. And so I started pulling, I don't even know what it's called, like the first string of football. This is how much I know about, about sports. You're asking the wrong gal. Yeah. Something like that. So I, you know, I started pulling some of the top names and looking for their social media. And all of them had their full names on their Twitter accounts. So it wasn't even like they were using, you know, football stud 27. It was, you know, they were using their full names. And I started seeing a lot of really horrible comments.
1: Comments like the ones responding to a photo of Trent and Malik holding Jane Doe by her limbs as they carried her intoxicated and unconscious from location to location. Here are some examples. Never seen anything this sloppy, LOL. It's a real tweet. And whores are hilarious. It's another real comment. Here's another one. Some people deserve to be peed on. And finally, this is a direct quote. If they're getting raped and don't resist, then to me, it's not rape. I feel bad for her, but still. End quote. However, the tweets weren't just heinous dispatches from nowhere. They were each sent from a time, a place, and yeah, I'm saying it, a dumb teenager with their name attached to it all. Alexandria knew these digital footprints wouldn't stay for long, so she started collecting.
0: And, you know, I'm going through, I'm doing screenshots, I've got a notebook beside me, taking notes, dragging lines out to who is associated with who. And my brain, when I see things, I'm looking at it logically and remembering little tidbits of information like, you know, I remember seeing this name. And so I would flip back and start looking at their tweets to see what they were saying. So I was just, you know, basically networking out from the inside out to see who all was there and who all was discussing it to get, because every person leaves a breadcrumb. You know, and back then Twitter was a lot different to capture than it is now. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. It wasn't threaded like it is now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're clicking on individual tweets. And so I was literally up all night into the following afternoon capturing information from Twitter. And after I had gone through probably the top 10 of the football team and had found all of this stuff, I started going out on their networks and identifying people that were at the parties and some of the girls that were there and capturing that. So, I mean, they were all actively in real time discussing the rape. Right. And you were putting that timeline together. Yeah. Because they were basically giving you everything you were looking for. Yes, everything. And I didn't have to geolocate. They were telling where they were at. Yeah, they were using it almost as a group text, it felt like. Yeah, they were. Wild. Yeah. So, like, after I'd started going through all of the kids and their networks, you know, back then, people were using message boards and forums a lot. And so I started looking around for local forums, and I found one that was dedicated to nothing but high school football in the area. (laughs) I could not believe some of the things that these people were saying. The gentleman who ran the Steubenville High School website, rollredroll.com, was in there saying some absolutely horrible things. They were blaming her for, you know, trying to ruin the football team and talking about she wasn't really raped. I mean, it was some really, really ugly stuff in there that was all adults in the area. So, you know, I was even more disgusted then because I'm like, you know, what is going on here? How can people just sit around and make some of the comments that they are? This is a young girl.
1: With all this digital evidence in tow, her timeline of that night nailed down, and a healthy amount of rage, Alexandria wrote her first blog post on the case. But it wasn't her first time writing something like this. Alexandria had been blogging for a long time.
0: It's very ancient, probably like seriously when the internet started a <laughs> long time ago. I just always wrote about true crime cases. And over the years, there's been, you know, different variations of blog names. And I chose the worst blog name in the world. And now I'm kind of stuck with it. <laughs> Can you tell the listeners what that name is? Yes, it's printified.com. And that actually started as a a joke. A hater made a comment because I used to go by Princess and they said, oh, Prinny did it. And so I co-opted their insult and turned it into a domain just to be a jerk. And now I'm stuck with it. I kind of love that. Taking it back. Yeah. I wrote about the crime and... I started posting screenshots because, you know, the news was trying to portray this as one way, and that wasn't the way that it was. You know, this wasn't just two high school boys who had raped a young girl from across the river. This was two high school boys who raped a girl who had others there with them and 100 who were basically internet accomplices because they knew about it in real time and yet they did nothing to help the girl. Instead, they, you know, demeaned her and spread it on to other kids so that they could all make fun of her online, real time. And so that was the basis of my post was, you know, this is awful. And to me, I saw that this was a culture and something that because of their position in the community and because of how the community glorified them, this was a a huge issue. And later on, you know, I had women who had contacted me that said they had been raped 20, 30 years ago in pretty much the same way that this went down. I mean, I definitely believe that it was something that was accepted and I just was outraged.
1: And as it goes, so were her readers. In the ensuing days, Alexandria posted again and again, drawing further attention to the story. And with that came a ton of conversation in the comments. And I think we all know how um, active an internet comment section can be. Is active the right word? Yeah, probably not. Anyway, unlike RollRedRoll.com, this was a place created by someone concerned for Jane Doe and fighting for her. It provided a space for others to do the same.
0: Steubenville is also a place where there is a social hierarchy. So it's who you know is how you navigate the town. So if you are down on the lower echelon of of the totem pole, your life isn't going to be so easy. But if you're up here, you know, cruising along with the cool people and the people who have football player kids, that's pretty cool. And so, People don't really talk a lot there because if you're down here on the lower echelon, the people on the upper echelon can make your life a little bit miserable. And so there's kind of this thing that you you just don't talk. It's the Italian, you know, omerta. you keep your mouth shut. And so they started finding my blog, you know, because there was a lack of information out there from the media So they came to my blog and, you know, there were thousands of comments, so many that I couldn't even read them all. You know, they just got approved and people were communicating on my blog. And that was the place, basically the community water cooler that they came to talk because they could use a pseudonym and not identify themselves so that they would be harassed in town. She
1: described her blog as the new water cooler for discussion on the case, for better and worse. Because eventually the family of one of the kids mentioned in her
0: posts sued for defamation. They sued me and 25 commenters from my blog. And, you know, the majority of them were local. And their hope was that they could identify who these people were. I didn't care what they said about me, you know, <laughs> but I was concerned about the people that lived in Steubenville who were commenting on my blog. And, you know if they would have been revealed they would have had a hard time and so at that time my attorneys were like you know we can file a motion to dismiss based on jurisdiction because you're not even in Ohio and my thoughts at that time were well if i'm dismissed out then i have 25 people swinging in the wind that are still being sued and you know they have a right to their opinion and so i told them I didn't want them to dismiss me out. And I said, you know, can we talk to the ACLU? Because I think this is important. You know, they're trying to silence speech. And so my attorneys talked to the ACLU and they agreed to represent all of the John Doe defendants. And about a week and a half, two weeks after the ACLU did their press release that they were representing all of the John Doe's, the plaintiffs dropped the lawsuit and ask if their son could post an apology on my blog. Wow. Yeah. How did that go? Well, at first, he did not make mention of Jane Doe. And (laughs) I sent it back to my attorneys, and they're like, seriously, Alex? I was like, no, this isn't about me. He also insulted Jane Doe, and I think that he should have to apologize to her as well. And so, you know, reluctantly, they're like, all right, you know. (laughs) But I just was like, no, you know, I don't care if he apologizes to me. It's not what this was ever about. And so he wrote his apology and I posted it on the blog. That's awesome. That you fought for her. Yeah. In that moment. Well, she deserved it.
1: And ironically, this lawsuit only attracted more attention to what was going on in Steubenville. Soon, this story of sexual assault would explode into a wider conversation on free speech, hitting newspapers and televisions from coast to coast. Babbel is back, or should I say, oh, molto bene, como stai?
2: Ah, hola, mi amiga. Here's the thing, fam. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly the high point of our academic careers. No. I also tried post-college. I've been saying this forever. I took in-person Spanish classes. I was writing flashcards. and flashcards up to my neck. It's not a process that works. Yeah, I was the same
1: way. I tried and tried and nothing stuck, but now, thanks to Babbel, Babbel is a language learning app that sold more than
2: 10 million subscriptions, and it's fun, and it's easy. But let me tell you why it's easy. Babbel is all about their 15-minute lessons that make it a perfect way to learn a new language on the go. For me, these Spanish classes were like 90 minutes. You're hot, you're tired, you're right. thirsty. It doesn't work. These 15-minute bite-sized lessons have worked for me better than anything else I've ever used.
1: Yeah, and it's also not boring no. because in addition to the lessons, which are great and fun and cute, yeah. but you can access podcasts, yes. games, videos, stories, and if you want to take a live class, you can take a live class. Also,
2: Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. That is key. That's like a major part of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, other learning apps use AI for their lesson plans. That's artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's fake, everybody. Yeah, artificial. It's right in the name. (laughs) But Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, real people.
2: Yes. I've been working on the Spanish. I'm very proud of myself. Right now, fam, you can save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash women.
1: That's babbel.com slash women for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel,
2: language for life.
1: Aw.
2: Adios. Pronto!
1: That's what you say when you answer answer the phone in Italy. Pronto. (laughs) Now let me rewind a little bit. Prior to getting sued, Alexandria tried sharing the story with as many people as possible, especially outside of Steubenville. She enlisted a reporter from the Cleveland Plain Dealer to cover Jane Doe's story. She did interviews. She even shot Nancy Grace a few emails. But it wasn't until Alexandria and her fellow 25 commenters got sued that the national media took notice. This turned the story into something bigger, something the New York Times would come to cover. The Steubenville, Ohio rape case was no longer just that. It was the latest and greatest case study in a country that, let's be honest, loves a routine free speech debate.
0: And so, the majority of my interviews that we did, you know, we were talking about the implications of free speech and people trying to silence speech with these slap suits you know, suing people trying to shut protected speech up. I mean, there are limits on free speech, but I don't think anybody during that time that was discussing this case, you know, calling these kids monsters, they weren't acting like good kids. And so, you know, I think basically back then my headspace was that I just, I was floored that it got as much attention as it did and that it had gone international And I was happy that, you know, it was a moment that rape culture could be defined and that people would understand what that was and that it wasn't, you know, some ugly, hippie feminist word anymore. I remember that somebody sent me a video clip during Hurricane Sandy coverage uh, that Channel 9 interrupted it to let their viewers know that I had been sued for defamation. So that... (laughs) That's the kind of coverage that they were doing about, you know, printing. But they really weren't, they just, they weren't doing the job of a journalist. The local media wasn't. And so the international journalist community stepped in and did it for them. Before the lawsuit was settled, Alexandria and
1: some other supporters of hers took to Twitter. At one point, someone started hashtagging free speech and anonymous in connection with the case because she and these anonymous commenters had their speech muzzled for a time. And this is where things take an unexpected turn. Anonymous, the global network of online activists, caught wind of the story and got involved too. And to be clear, the name of the group is actually called Anonymous. Yeah, I know, it sounds
0: confusing. So here's Alexandria to explain who they are and what they do. They're activists. And so Anonymous is basically, there's no hierarchy. There's no structure. It's just people who feel compelled to get out there and do some online activism and, you know, try to make the world a better place. And some of them do some not so great things like, you know, they hacked uh, Sony, they've hacked PayPal. Some of them didn't even hack. They tried to show companies that, hey, you have security issue here. I did a penetration test and then the company turns around and calls the DOJ and they get in trouble and go to prison. So it's just a large collective of individuals who want to be involved. And once they got involved, they created, I believe it was Op Steubenville and Op Roll Red Roll. And what happened is once they got involved and started their op, the high school had an unofficial football site rollredroll.com. And so they guessed the password to the the football site which was rollredroll. Roll. So they didn't even hack it. So then they got into the the control panel of the website and they defaced it which, you know, a lot of times anonymous will do this and they'll put a video up with the guy in the guy fox mask, we do not forgive, we do not forget. Well, they defaced the website and I think they had transferred the domain somewhere so that the person who owned it couldn't get back in it. And that's when the feds got involved. It was insane how many people were, you know, hashtagging and retweeting those two hashtags. I mean, it was crazy to watch.
1: Their next step was scheduling rallies in Steubenville, supporting Jane Doe and all survivors of sexual assault who'd not been able to share their stories. Alexandria says word spread like wildfire. And even though she couldn't attend, being in California, she said watching from afar as it happened was special. Even more special was watching the footage that made it into the 2018 documentary on this case
0: called Roll, Red Roll. There were several people that were live streaming, but there were a couple thousand people who came to Steubenville and were on the courthouse steps and filling the parking lot and almost spilling out into the street. And that part of the documentary, it's like, I could see the film 50 million times, but as soon as they start showing all the women standing there and, you know, people going up on on the steps, taking the microphone, and some of them for the first time had never in their entire lives talked about what had happened to them. And, you know, there were so many and even men that had gotten up there and talked about, you know, being sexually assaulted. For me, it was such a powerful moment that, you know, these people were able to get up there, take the mask off because they all had come in masks. They were afraid they would be targeted by police if they were local and, you know, just to see that they were taking their masks off. So that was kind of a, a profound moment too. And, you know, I described it as it was like a release to watch them to get up there and to finally have the courage enough and be empowered by other people who had been through similar situations and to be able to say it out loud. So it was almost, you know, watching these people free themselves of these chains that had bound them for all of these years. I mean, it was beautiful. And like I said, every time I see that part of the documentary, I get choked up because it is truly a beautiful moment in time.
1: Yeah. Do you feel comfortable talking about your personal journey as a survivor yourself?
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't used to, you know, when I talked about that on the documentary, that was my brothers saw the film. They had no clue. You know, there were a lot of people that I never told about what happened. And so, you know, again, that was we go back to that freeing moment where I publicly disclosed that. Yeah. You know, that happened to me, too. Yeah. So how did you get to a place where you did feel comfortable? I don't know. You know, there are still times when people will ask me about it and I get choked up because I don't think that's something that you can ever stuff down inside of you. And I'm somebody that kind of, you know, will lock things away in a box and then not think about it. And so all of this kind of made me have to take that box out and look at it again. And so I I think that also helped with the healing. And, you know, like I said in the film, my sexual assault has never defined me because he raped me. You know but going through this journey you see how the public how they think they still think about rape you know there's this negative connotation on the person who is raped and not the person who perpetrated the rape but you know it was healing in a sense that i was able to say publicly that I had been raped and not say, you know, no, that's never happened to me because there's that, that sense of shame that people who have been raped carry around with them. And, you know, I grew up in Southern West Virginia and I don't even think I told my best friend at that time what had happened. And, you know, there again is going back to the shame. And that after I saw all of the women and men who had gotten up there and talked about it that, you know, I didn't have to really focus or put so much focus on that shame. I mean, for me, speaking personally, it's not even the act of the assault, but it's what you walk away with afterward. And it's not even like you're dealing with, you hate that person for what they did, but then you also have this self-reckoning of grappling with that shame because society has put such an emphasis on we shouldn't get raped or what did you do that got you raped. And so I think that that was probably all of that and you know, just being able to come to grips with that. I don't have to hold on to that shame because I didn't do anything that I should be ashamed of.
1: Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Guess what? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.
2: Yes, BetterHelp.
1: Look, we all know... Life can be overwhelming. I'm feeling overwhelmed this minute, actually. And so many people are burned out even thinking about it. So symptoms can include lack of motivation. Yes. Hi. Feeling helpless (laughs) or trapped? Raising my hand. Detachment, (laughs) fatigue, so many things.
2: And the thing is, fam, we associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burnout. We're talking family. We're talking kids. We're talking husbands. We're talking coworkers. Coworkers. Or just like your calendar. I know. The fact
1: that I have things to do tomorrow sometimes can be a little bit much. And so BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you you to prioritize yourself.
2: Yes. By the way, therapy is the best thing I ever did.
1: I think everyone on earth should be in therapy. It
2: straightens out my brain in a way nothing else does, not even talking to you though that really helps too.
1: It does help. You know when you're talking to a friend and yes. you suddenly you're having a conversation and then you are talking about something you didn't even plan on talking Completely. about? Completely. Do that in therapy yes. and unlock some things and have what they call
2: breakthroughs. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to.
1: Yeah, and it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That's quick.
2: Yes, Famine, let the women do the work. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash do the work. I love that call I
1: love that. It's on so many levels, right? That's betterhelp.com slash do the work.
2: If you turn your camera off with your therapist, it's like an interactive podcast.
1: You know what? (laughs) Nailed it, didn't I? That you can (laughs) do in your pajamas. (laughs) I know that you you mentioned this in the film, too, that you sort of wrestled with Jane Doe's best interest and worried if you were sort of dragging out this awful memory of her or exploiting her potentially while still fighting for her. So what conversations did you have with yourself about that?
0: You know, it was always back and forth of am I prolonging this am i revictimizing her by continuing to speak out about this and then trying to weigh the importance i mean the conversation about this was so important but yet you know i struggled with is the conversation detrimental to jane doe you know and i i still struggle with that but in hindsight you know we're 10 years down the road in august and This case is still out there and people are still talking about it. I mean, it made an impact. And so she's doing great. I think someone told me that she had gotten married. She finished college. So, you know, again, in hindsight, I think that it was the right thing to do, even though, you know, I felt really crappy sometimes doing it. But, you know, we're still having a conversation about this and, you know, the conversation about consent.
1: What do you think can be done to unravel rape culture, to dismantle it, and to recover from it after, you know, learning everything you've learned and and knowing what you've been through?
0: I think it starts at home. You know, you have to start teaching kids early about, you know, this is my body and being comfortable enough with their parents that they can tell them if something has happened and not... You know, make them feel ashamed or afraid to tell them. And I think also that we need to start teaching, especially young boys, about consent. And, you know, that a maybe is not consent, that an absolute yes from both parties is consent, not, oh, you know, I'm going to wear her down until finally she's exasperated and it's like, oh, okay, because that's not consent either. And I think that would help dramatically. Because, you know, rape is a power thing and consent is is the issue. If you hear somebody joking about rape, don't be silent. Tell them that that's inappropriate. You know, shame them if you have to. But, you know, adults already have their core values and how they think. And, you know, as a community, if people start holding others accountable for some of the garbage that they say When it comes to sexual crimes, you know, maybe they'll start being a little more thoughtful before they let trash fly out of their mouth.
1: After speaking her mind on this story, Jane Doe's and hers, Alexandria is back to finding herself on the page. She writes every day and has been for quite some time. She told me her crime blogging blossomed from journaling, actually. Her daily writing practice became more investigative as she grew up her curiosity leading the way.
0: As soon as I was able to hold a pen or pencil in my hand, I was writing. In kindergarten, I could read and I could write. And I've just always my entire life journaled or written. And, you know, with my interest in true crime, once the internet came about and I'm aging myself here, but I also saw that, you know, it was a platform to write about cases. And, you know, back when I started writing about true crime, I mean, those that that's the days of Live Journal and MySpace and Dead Journal. They didn't call them blogs back then. That I had a journal, online journal, and I was writing about cases. I mean, I, I write to this day. I write every single day. I have a pen in my hand and I have weird calluses on my finger from doing it. Her legal interest started in childhood, too,
1: setting her up for the kind of thinking she'd later use piecing together cases. From a young age, she was motivated to find out the truth.
0: Well, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and my very first job, I worked for an attorney. I was 15 years old, and I worked after school and on the weekend, and he basically trained me like I was his law clerk rather than a secretary. And he used to hand me what used to be, back in the ancient days, before everything was digital, the Ohio opinion slips for Court of Appeals and Ohio Supreme Court. And so he would make me choose a case every quarter that these came out, and I would basically have to brief it for him and explain to him why the court ruled the way that they did based on the evidence that was presented to them. So, I was always really a very curious kid, and I was always, my mindset was everything had to be logical. So, I looked at everything in my worldview that I have to put it together so that I understand how it comes together so that it makes sense. And so, you know, of course, I was loved the law. You know, I have all these years, I've continued legal work, and you know, I just was have always been fascinated not with the crime themselves, but the process, the judicial process. And then when you start looking at the peripheral characters around the criminal and how they came to the place that, you know, that they came to be. So I think that, you know, I've always... Held those interests, and then being from Steubenville and seeing this case, and then knowing how the locals treated high school football players—like all of my education and and past experiences—kind of all came together and
1: created a shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the best kind of shitstorm, yeah. And to commemorate this glorious shitstorm, Alexandria got a tattoo on the inside of her wrist that I think sums things up quite nicely.
0: It just says Semper Veritas, which means always the truth. And, you know, I was in California at the time, and I felt like I wanted something to memorialize that journey that I'd been on. And, you know, the whole time I was going through this, I'm being called a liar and I'm making up things. And, you know, to me it was like, no, you know, it was always about getting the truth out. And so that was why I got the tattoo.
1: To help advocate for victims and stories like these, taking a page out of Alexandria's book is a good start. Dismantle rape culture by talking about it. And better yet, bring that discussion to the wider communities in your life that could benefit from it. Involved in high school or college sports? Check out RollRedRollFilm.com and click the resources tab for discussion guides and more. Like all quests for justice and the truth, keep the conversation going. Let the Women Do the Work is a production from The Obsessed Network and it's produced by Becca Gregorio, Natalie Grillo, Patrick Hines, and me, Jillian Pensavale. Our editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Follow me on Twitter at Jillian with a G. And remember,
0: just let the women do the work. So every big game when they would do whatever they do, I just would, you know, roll up my eyes in the back of my head because I have a problem with that. If you know me, And I'm sitting talking to you. I have a problem sometimes with my facial expressions. Oh, same. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard for me to, like, not, you know, ditch the eyes into the back of my head.